Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. Good morning, Vineyard family. My name is Beth Guckenberger, and I'm part of the teaching team, and it's fun. It's just a joy for me to be here this weekend with you all, whether you're joining us online or here on campus. I have been loving this Unleashed series. The missionary in me loves the book of Acts, and I, you know, last week, Matt left us with this idea that God transforms us so that we can be part of the transforming work. We can go and testify about the transforming work God is doing in us to others, and I want to just really pick right up where uh, he left off. Acts is is this recorded time in in our God family story where the church functioned like a go and tell movement, not like a come and see institution. And the... I mean, in 2020, when I had the privilege of being here um, more regularly with you all, I had the opportunity to hear lots of stories about the origins of the Vineyard Church. And this church has always been a go-and-tell kind of church. What happens, in, and we need to continue to be that way. We need to keep going out and telling people of the good news, the way that, that the, the characters in the stories of Acts model for us. When we don't do that, when instead we become a come-and-see kind of institution, we end up counting the wrong things, like how many people came and saw, and what's their Yelp review of us, and that that steers the church in the wrong kind of direction, so just right off the bat, that's one of the things I love about the fact we're studying Acts, is we just get reminded of that kind of model. I, I think Acts is also, it's like a, it's like a laboratory of what happened when the people closest to Jesus got commissioned out to go into all the world and tell of his goodness and of his salvation, what did those people prioritize? What, what, what did they see? What did they do? These are the stories that are captured in the book of Acts. In today's message, I'm going to really put in the context of three buckets, so I just want to prepare you for those buckets in advance. The first bucket is we're going to talk a minute about the Old Testament because as, as fresh and relevant as Acts is today, the stories of Acts sit inside of an ancient story. And then we're going to read most of the chapter 12 of Acts, because that's where we are in our series. And then I'm going to end our time with a little epilogue. Because the truth of the matter is, I mean, these aren't in my notes. This is just my heart. Like, the, the people in the story of Acts, they, they went and told they were obedient. They were They listened and obeyed and engaged, and sometimes those stories turned out unbelievable, like we're going to read a story about Peter today. And sometimes those stories turned out in heartbreak, like we're going to read about the story of James today. And regardless if those stories turned out beautiful or turned out hard in the moment, no matter where we put our finger down in in history or even put our finger down today, the story's not over yet. God continues to write a story, and if he's, if he's allowing something or causing something, it's because he's sovereign and he, know it's, he, and he knows it's good. So we're going to talk about how there's a lot of freedom in trusting God to write the end of our stories, and we'll finish our time with a little epilogue about what happened to all the characters in chapter 12. 
But to start, I want you to go with me to the book of Exodus. So this is after all the plagues, after let my people go, after Pharaoh allowed God's kids to go, God freed them, they crossed through the opening of the Red Sea, and then people like to say for the next 40 years, the Israelites wandered through the wilderness or wandered through the deserts. But I'd I'd like to propose to you today, I don't think they were wandering. I think that they were led. Read with me in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Psalm 78 says, he guided them with the cloud by day and with the light from the fire all night. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. I don't think they were lost. I think they were being led. So where were they being led and why did they spend so much time in that wilderness or in that desert? There are a lot of paths to follow in that wilderness and desert. The word for wilderness and desert is the same word in Hebrew and the word is midbar. And midbar also, in addition to wilderness and desert, in Hebrew it also means the place of the word. God regularly led his people into the wilderness so that they would learn to come to depend on him so that they would hear from him. And sometimes when I feel like I'm in the heat of the desert or in the challenge of the wilderness, I mean, I can complain. Like, why are we here? Turn on the air conditioning. Get me out of here. When it's possible that God may be leading me into the wilderness because he has something he wants to tell me or he has some way he wants to shape me or he has something he wants me to hear. And I, I can trust him for it. Six years ago, I was diagnosed with the breast cancer gene and I underwent a double mastectomy and a hysterectomy and the season following those surgeries felt in a bit like a wilderness to me, like a desert. I was in a lot of pain in that time and God taught me a lot in that wilderness. He, he came for me and encouraged me and convicted me and lifted me up and comforted me, did all kinds of things that make me look back on that season with fondness even though when it was going down, it looked, seemed really hard. I bet if we all circled up here today and I asked you about some of the wilderness that God has led you through, some of you might have stories where even though it might have been hard in the moment, today you realize you're a different person, you're a different kind of child of God as a result of that time. One of the things, I I mean, we could spend the rest of the afternoon, I could tell you the things that God taught me in that season, but one of the things that God taught me in that season, which I did not know until then, and that is that pain makes you kind of mean. And I hadn't really been that mean until then, and I hope I haven't really been that mean since, but during that season, I was in a lot of pain, and I recognized the relationship between being in pain and being mean. In the aftermath of those surgeries, once I was healed, I was at one of my son's track meets and I was sitting a few rows behind a grandmother and what looked like her four-year-old grandson and she was being very, very mean to him. And prior to my experience in that wilderness, I might've looked at that lady and judged her, thinking, you don't talk to kids that way. And I might've even like, you know, stuck that little boy like a sucker or like a sticker or like, I might've even put my nose in the middle of that storyline when I shouldn't have. But after having experienced and learned the things that I learned on the path that I was led through in the wilderness, I realized if she's being mean, I wonder where she's hurting. What might God have for me in that moment to minister to her instead of to judge her? When God leads us in a path, 
the Bible says in Psalm 118, you know that, we sing it all the time, like the word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Remember that passage? Like, that sounds great, a lamp and a light. Like, my husband likes flashlights. We have some really cool flashlights. I have this one flashlight that like gives us a 40-foot beam. And so I think, God, I'm, if we're gonna go in the desert or the wilderness, that's fine. I'll go with you into that midbar, but, um, and, and I'll bring my Bible with me, and I'm thankful that it'll be a light to my path. I'd like to see about 40 feet ahead of me all the time, please. It, like, as long as I know what's coming up, I think I'll be okay. Like, I'll trust you, but I need to see what's around the bend. I need to see what's coming. But when, when the psalmist wrote that, I brought with me a replica of the kind of oil lamp that the, he would have been looking at. This is an early or again, a replica of an oil lamp. They would have put olive oil in this little hole and they would have lit this little wick. And I promise you, when this thing is lit, it gives off the light of about a birthday candle. And so when the psalmist wrote that the word of God is like a, a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, he's talking about, I, I, might, I might get enough light from this that I can see one step in front of me. Definitely, I'm not gonna be seeing 40 feet. God brings us into places we are totally dependent on him and we need to be so careful about having that light and lamp with us that we just, we don't trip on the next step in front of us. And then even though I can't see all the things that are coming ahead, I can be like, God, you're, you're with me. I, I have enough here that I can take one more step. That's the kind of dependency that gives that midbar this idea that it's a place of the word, that I'm in communion with him. And God, God wanted his people to walk his path through the desert. And we can get into deserts and wildernesses and get ourselves all turned around and kind of disoriented. And, but God, he has a purpose for it in it. And as we read the stories of the characters in the chapter 12 of Acts, we're gonna see that in their storyline, in that walk, in that communion, he shaped them. And that's really where the freedom is found in believing that God has a purpose and a plan for every step and every day and every place that he leads me. Deuteronomy 12 says, now Israel, he might as well just say, now vineyard, like this is for his church, now church, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Here's our list. To fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. That's the call. That's all we have to do. Everything else is up to him. All the provision, the reconciliation, all the protection, all, all of the results, all of the, every other thing is his responsibility. I just, I'm just supposed to fear him, walk with him, love him, and serve him with all of my heart and all of my soul. And when I do that, it says in Jeremiah 6, here's what the Lord says to us, church. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. Which, is, which way is the good way? Then walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. That, that rest is our birthright as his kid. We, we don't have to worry about gas prices. We don't have to worry about elections or court decisions. We don't have to, we, we don't have, if we're on the ancient path, if we have asked them where the good way is, if we have a light in front of our path and we know where to step next, then we can have rest. That's the gift we get to be given. And that, that rest, that's what, it's, it's why, you know, remember that part in it's Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. The reason that would have been a lightning bolt to the audience he said that to is they would have been familiar with that Jeremiah 6 passage. 
Jesus was announcing in that message, remember when I told you the path is what gives you rest? Well, guess what? I'm giving you rest. I'm the path. You come my way. You come, you walk with me. He'll go on to say, you walk with me and work with me and watch how it is that I do it. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, he'll say in that passage. Like, that, uh, walk with me. Psalm 25, show me your ways. Teach me your path. It's like he's saying, trust me. I have a plan. I have a path. And it's good. Don't choose any other. I don't care how shiny it is. I don't care how tempting it is. Don't look at another. And it's the same message he'll have for his kids in the book of Acts. And when we are on his path, we're vulnerable. Have you ever heard of the term you can look it up later if you haven't, but not now, but like look it up later. It's called Sheilaism. It comes from this book from the 1980s. Uh, author Robert Bulow was doing some research for his book, Habits of the Heart, and he was asking people about their faith uh, backgrounds and belief systems, and he interviewed a woman named Sheila Larson in 1980, and here's exactly what she said. She said, I believe in God. My faith has carried me a long way. It's called Sheilaism. It's just my own little voice. So today that phrase, Sheilaism, represents people who have concocted their own little religion. And they borrow like a little bit from them and a little bit from them and a little bit from them and then they figure out what they think sounds right and they trust their own instincts and they listen to their own heart and that is the religion of one. And the Bible tells us there are two paths, one that leads to our destruction and one that leads to our salvation. And there's only one path that leads to, have, to salvation, and that's through Jesus. He is the ancient path. He is the good way. He's the only path that will give us rest. Any other path is like Sheilaism. It will give us nothing. But I'm telling you, we live in a culture that is wildly validating to people who have their own little religions of one, their own little concoctions of belief systems. But biblically, that path leads to death. There are stretches on this walk that are paved. <laughs> it's so awesome when you've hit them. But that is not the promise. In the wilderness, there are going to be rocks on our path. We'll, we'll see more of that in Acts 12. But what's he do when we, when we encounter those rocks? What happens to God's kids on a path that he leads us that has a rock in it? Here's what he tells us. Psalm 91, he'll order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They'll hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. If there's a rock in your path, he'll, he'll help you around it. He'll help you through it. In fact, <laughs> the most amazing thing is that he says, you stay on my path, you'll be fed with the finest of wheat, and there'll be honey in those rocks, and I'll satisfy you with it. Like, there's even honey in the rocks on his path. At the beginning of Acts 12, you, which we're gonna start now, you might be thinking to yourself, like, what kind of path is this? Because James dies, and Peter's in prison, and it looks like Herod has all the power and authority, but we're just gonna keep reading it. It'll all end up fine because Peter will get free, James will go to heaven, and Herod will get eaten by worms. So stay with me for a minute. <laughs> James chapter, or Acts chapter 12, we're gonna start at the beginning. It says, it was this time, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. And I just wanna quickly say that there's a bunch of Herods in the Bible. There's one Herod that was around when, when he was killing babies, when Jesus was born, that's not this Herod. There was another Herod that was around during the trial of Jesus. It was, this is not this Herod. This is the nephew of that Herod, Herod Agrippa. And this family had a lot of power. Hey, they had a lot of power over a long period of time. But what I love is the only reason we even know their name today is because they were around at the same time as Jesus. Like that, that kind of power doesn't last. 
Verse two, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Like, really? That's quite a rock. This was the first apostle to be martyred. Of course, Stephen was the first martyr, but this is the first one of the 12 that was martyred. So the whole church would have been like, well, if it can happen to one of them, it could happen to any of us. Because up until this point in Acts, everything was going really awesome. I mean, they, they got the Holy Spirit. They had these unbelievable conversions of Saul and Cornelius. They could have been thinking like, man, this path is amazing. Of course I'm gonna stay on this path. It seemed really paved. And Jesus warned them about it. In fact, he warned James directly about what was gonna happen to him. In Mark chapter 10, remember that part when James and his brother John go up to Jesus and say, hey, can we sit on your left and right in heaven? That sounds like a really good seat in the house. And Jesus says back to them, can you drink the cup that I drink? And they, they respond, they can. They don't really know what they're talking about. But Jesus was warning James, you're gonna drink the cup that I drink. You're gonna lose your life for this faith. Are you ready for that? And I think, church, hear me loud and clear and with all the affection I have. If somebody teaches you, if you hear somebody saying, it is always God's will to deliver you from things like sickness or tragedy or death, they are false teachers. If they say, just claim this for yourself or that healing in any way, in any way comes from a measure of your faith, they aren't teaching from the Bible. Sometimes God's kids pay a price for their faith. Sometimes God's kids get caught up in the, the consequences of sin in this world. Sometimes it feels like it's not fair for God's kids. That's where we have to trust him. He's writing the epilogue. There is a story he's telling that I'm not privy to it. And I can trust him that even in the rocks, he'll give me honey. Goes on to say in verse three, when, we, when he saw that this was met with approval from the Jews, the fact that James had been killed, he proceeded to seize Peter also, like let's keep going. He was actually just trying to improve his ratings. It was politically a popular move for him. There is literally nothing new under the sun. People liked that he killed James, so he decided to do Peter next. Verse four, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Because remember in Acts 5, Peter like miraculously escaped from prison. So he's like, well, this time we're going to make sure he is surrounded. We're not going to let anything happen. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I want to talk for a minute about that word earnestly. Herod may have had like prisons and guards and all the things that we can see with our eyes, but the church had prayer. And when every other road feels like a dead end, when every other door is locked, the gate to heaven is wide open. And the word earnestly, I just wanna, the only reason to do word studies is just to get a bigger, better picture of what we read in our English Bibles. The word um, earnestly in the Greek, it literally means stretching out all that someone can for something. It's, a, it's actually a medical term describing the stretching of a muscle to its total limit. Think like an athlete. So we're gonna do something, and I, I know it's kind of weird, but I, I honestly, I want you to remember this later today. So I'm gonna ask you for a minute, if you'll just stand, you'll sit in a second, but just like stand with me for a minute. And I want you to stretch one of your muscles to its full extent. You can like, you know, like in elementary school, gym class, reach all the way to the sky. Get on your tippy toes. You can stretch your legs or your fingers. Stretch to the point that you feel the strain. 
That's the kind of word, right, that stretch, that's, that's earnestly. Okay, you can sit down. Thanks. I hope that felt good. <laughs> that's the kind of idea that these, these, this church was praying like that for their friend Peter that was in prison. And as I was learning about this passage and about that word, I was challenging myself, saying, who and when do I pray like that? where it feels like the muscle is at its full capacity, that I can't even stretch anymore, that my prayers are so earnest because I want someone or something to happen, and I'm crying out to the one that I know has the power to do it. Like, what does that look like? It goes on to say, verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial. Meanwhile, the church is praying earnestly, stretching their muscles for him. Peter's sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the sentry stood guard at the entrance. I literally love this image of Peter sleeping, showing literally no signs of anxiety. I mean, we think that probably the next day would be his execution, but he's putting into practice what we read in Psalm 127. God gives his beloved sleep. He gives him, he's giving rest to him because Peter is on the ancient path. Peter is walking in the good way. Peter doesn't need to know what's gonna happen tomorrow. He heard Jesus tell him, don't even worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's gonna worry about itself. All you have to do is, is abide in me. I'll give you enough light to look at where your next step is. And in that rest, in that peace, remember we've talked about peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom means literally filling in the cracks. In case Peter went to bed that night with any cracks, any human fears, God can fill them when we ask, this is, this is the honey from the rock we get promised. This is the gift that he can give us. As he was resting, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I, I love that picture in my brain, but quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around me, around you and follow me, the angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison, but had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought maybe he was seeing a vision. Peter obeyed, even though he didn't know what was happening. He, knew, he just knew enough to sense that God was like doing something and maybe the explanation to it would come later. Pathwalkers. Jesus abiders, God's kids, they don't need to have all the answers. They just obey first. They're in tune to God's instruction, knowing whatever's in that step that I'm not to yet, God's gonna work out. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate, remember that word, iron gate, leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. Then when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly an angel, the angel left them. And I think about, you know, Peter's like disoriented, like got woke up and by an angel, escaping out of prison. This is now a thing for him. He doesn't really know what's gonna happen and he sees an iron gate ahead of him. Many of us worry about that iron gate before we ever get to it, right? We like, like well, Lord, what are we gonna do when we get there? Like, I don't, I don't know how that's going to happen, but pathwalkers, we surrender. We, we don't have to fret, we can just trust. I've spent this last week with Back to Back in the Dominican Republic, and on Thursday, I was uh, with this, uh, these ministry partners of ours, and they were describing to Todd and I this enormous, God-sized, vision-driven project they have going on, and it's more than they could accomplish on their own. It's 
it's going to require more provision than they currently have. It's, it's, it's a big project. And so I was just asking, like, like how you doing? With, like, what's the measure of your faith looking like? Like, how hard is that for you to trust God like that? And the woman looked at me and she's like, I mean, if it's God's idea, which we believe it is, then he's gonna provide everything we need for it. And if it's not God's idea, then I don't wanna do it in any way. So like, it's like, either way, I'm gonna be just fine. And I thought to myself, it really is that simple. If God is in something, the iron gates open up, chains fall off our arms, God does what he wants to do. If that's not what his plan is, I don't wanna go through the iron gate anyway. Why even worry about it in advance? We can trust him. Then Peter came to himself and he said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. First of all, let's just say hallelujah, Peter's rescued. Like that, that is a testimony of this passage. But James is still dead. And the reason that God sometimes does, even more than we even ask, and sometimes God does stuff we don't even like and don't understand and don't want and can't control. The reason those things can happen and sit right next to them, those reasons are only known to him. (laughs) I'm not omniscient. I'm not sovereign. I can react to those circumstances with my human emotions, but I'm called, but that's a natural. That's like my natural reaction. But I'm called as one of God's kids to be supernatural. And if I'm gonna be supernatural, I'm gonna try to sit myself in the heavenly realms. I'm gonna try to see things from a perspective that is not natural to my flesh. And I'm gonna trust him if this is the path, it is good. And I don't, I don't, even if I don't like it or I don't understand it, I'm gonna trust the path is good. I'm gonna be looking for honey from the rock. I'm gonna trust you in it, what you're gonna do. Uh, let's do a little epilogue on what happened to these characters. What happened to Peter after this? What happened to Herod after this? What happened to the church that earnestly prayed after this? First, what happened to Peter? Uh, except for another brief mention in Acts chapter 15, this is the last that Luke ends up talking about him in the book of Acts. We know that Peter later met Paul in Antioch, and we know he would go on to write two letters, what we call in our Bible, First and Second Peter, We know he lived to be, because of church history, about 65 years old. Um, And he spent the rest of his life proclaiming the gospel. We know he died upside down on a cross in Rome. But listen to what this path walker would later write. This is in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, we have an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's where my eyes are fixed, right? Though through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, we greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. I mean, Peter's life was, was going to be filled with trials. These have come so that They prove the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than any gold you could ever earn, which perishes even though refined by fire, and it may result this faith in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter literally, this is my prayer, this was my prayer all week, this week for us. Peter literally metabolized this truth, like this idea that God's way is good and that we can trust him in it, and that when he leads us on paths, that he, he wants to talk to us, that it's the place of the word, that, that he wants us to testify 
to the transformation that Matt talked about last week. Like, this is all good. What, what happened to Herod? Here's what happened to Herod. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, this is later on in the exact same chapter, he sat on a throne and he delivered a public address to the people and they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And I bet that felt really good to him, right? He thought, my mind, my kingdom, my choices, my power, my authority, my body, my world, my, my like me, 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 thank you very much for saying that I sound like a God because I already thought that myself. I have one religion, it's Herodism, right? I mean, it's like, that's his Sheilaism. This is the world that I control. He has the voice of a God, but immediately, verse 23, because Herod did not give praise to God. An angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Herod fought against, against God. And history is full of stories of people who fought against God, right? I mean, we have, we have historical examples of men and women who tried to fight against God. We have modern day's examples of people who are trying to fight against God. And I don't really wanna go through them, but you have those examples that can come to your own mind. They are ruined lives evidenced that you, that you can't do it. You can't fight against God. Peter would later write in one of those two letters he wrote, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah, but he says, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The lamp at my feet, it's forever. I don't ever have to worry about that lamp going out. I don't ever have to worry that I'm not gonna find the bath. It literally endures forever. What happened to the church, that earnestly stretching muscle kind of, praying church, what happened to them? Verse 24, the word of the God continued to spread and flourish. And today, 2.3 billion people practice Christianity. The go and tell movement, it's alive. It is alive and well. The go and tell movement, it's, it's on the move. Oh, would you stand with me as we close? For the rest of our time together, uh, whether, whether it's in worship or in prayer, these are the things I'm thinking about. First of all, I just want to remind you that you can take communion during this worship song. If you don't have a communion cup, we have stations in the balcony in the back of this room here at the front of the, of the um, sanctuary. When I take communion today, this is what I'm gonna say. Jesus, I recommit to being a path walker. I recommit to the fact that you are good. I recommit to the fact that I will listen to you. I recommit to the fact that I will have your word as a lamp into my feet. I recommit to the fact that any time I am ever tempted to believe in Sheilaism, I say that my ways, my body, my mind, my resources, my hands, my life, it's not mine. It's not mine anymore. You bought me with a price. When we take communion, we are confessing when we step off of the path and we are recommitting to staying on the path. That's what communion can mean for you today during worship. And as I close us here in prayer, this is what I'm gonna say. I don't know what the epilogues of our life is going to look like, but I can tell you as one of God's kids, it's gonna be really good. And we can hold on with that kind of hope. And it's not dependent on any measure of faith that we bring to the table. It's wholly dependent on that which he has already accomplished. you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, you are so good. You are so good to lead us, even when it feels like we're wandering. We want the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. 
We want to rest and, and sleep as your beloved. Give us peace. Regardless of what might happen tomorrow, regardless of the iron gates in our mind's eye, regardless of the things and the circumstances that we don't like and can't control, Jesus, give us eyes to see. Give us an appetite for honey from the rock. We love you. We confess all the moments and times when we take into our own hands our own control. And we give it to you. We recommit to you. We tell you wherever, wherever you would like to lead, I will follow. So Jesus, it is with the authority I have together with these co-heirs with you that I ask you would release an anointing on this body, this go and tell kind of body, that they would be a part of the movement you are doing all around the world. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your holy, precious, and resurrected name. Amen. Yeah. 
happy worship bands, okay? Like, these guys are amazing. I want to invite your earnestly praying, muscle-stretching prayer teams forward. If you have something that you want your church to join with you in earnestly praying for, whether you're online and send it to us digitally or here on campus and you can come forward or go to the balcony to the prayer teams, this is literally what they're gifted and trained for. And as they and some of the staff were preparing for this weekend's ministry time, they were asking the Lord, give us, like, like prepare our hearts, like, who and what and when would you like us to pray for it? Various prophetic thoughts came to their minds. Those are just thoughts authored by God, not by themselves. And those will be on the ministry words um, slide behind us. But if, don't, if, if the thing that's on your heart is not on that slide, don't let that stop you from coming forward. They want to pray with you. They want to pray with you for your relationships and your body and the step that's in front of you and the iron gates that you see and the way that you sleep. They, they want to pray for the chains that are around your arms or the arms of someone you love. They want, this is what the church does. So they want to pray with you. Don't leave here without an opportunity to let them do that. I also, of course, want to uh, encourage you if you want to be baptized this next week to go to the big room after the service. We'll have a class and help you get prepared for what that step would look like. But if you'll just indulge me for two minutes, I, I, I had a thought while during the worship. I just, I just want to share with you in closing. I could hear the rain a little bit during our service, and I saw the forecast. It's literally going to rain all day today, and it's going to rain all night tonight, and tomorrow morning it's still going to be raining. And it, rain it makes me think of this the Hebrew word for rain is Geshem. Who cares about that word? But I want to tell you something about Geshem because all day today you're going to have your windshield wipers on and your umbrellas up and you're going to be having things canceled because of the rain and running in and out of your house in the rain. And I want you to remember when you feel it, what I'm about to tell you. Access to water in the Old Testament in, in those ancient days was like, ac like access to power. The way today access to oil is like access to power. And when God's kids were still in slavery in Egypt and God's telling them, hey, don't worry, hold on. The path I'm gonna lead you out of is going to be so amazing. I'm gonna take you to a place, it's gonna be called the promised land. It's amazing. And those Israelites might've been thinking to themselves, I mean, can you imagine how much water is gonna be in the promised land? Here in Egypt, it's so powerful. We have the Nile. I mean, these, these people have so much power, they have the Nile. What kind, of, what kind of river runs in the promised land? Then they get over there to Canaan, 40 years after being led through that midbar, they get to Canaan, and we now know there's 30,000 times more water in Egypt than there is in the promised land. And they might've been thinking, well, what's so promised about this? But two times in our Bible, God will tell them over there in Egypt, when you had to irrigate your crops, you had to do it with the backbreaking work of hand irrigation, bucket brigades. But over here in the promised land, when you need something, provision, protection, you need a gift, a gift of the Holy Spirit. You need, you need discernment, wisdom, mercy, patience, grace, love, forgiveness. Like when you need something over here, no bucket brigade is needed. I'm literally gonna make the Geshem come from the sky. I'm gonna literally make it rain on you. You're gonna be utterly dependent upon me. Just look up and I will provide. And today I was thinking to myself, while we feel the Geshem fall all day today, you tell the Lord, you make it a constant prayer prompt. Lord Jesus, this is what, this is what I need right now. I need, I need mercy, I need forgiveness, I need grace, I need love, I need joy, I need direction, I need protection, I need provision. I, I need it from you and I don't wanna do it on my own resources. I am not my own. I belong to you, I'm on the path. Bring it for me, honey from the rock, 
rain from the sky. That's the gift you get as being one of his kids. Join us next week as Clay continues on this series of Unleashed, continuing in the books of Acts. We are so grateful that you all are here with us this weekend. God bless you and have a great day. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.